0: Listener production. (coughs) Ding, f***ing dong. Here I am, (laughs) misogos. I wanted to do that last week, but I thought I should save it. (laughs) Take it away, my dulcet-toned (sighs) donners.
1: Great oh, Hello Gisters and welcome back for another episode of Just The Gist, a weekly-ish podcast in which Rosie Waterland and I give you just the gist of what you need to know about a story we think you'll find interesting enough to share at a dinner party and ding, fucking dong, yes, she's back, week two.
0: <laughs> We're um, putting a lot of pressure on our editor Lindsay to do some bleeping, <laughs> some bleeping there, <laughs> but she's back.
1: She sure is and you're in the she's driver's back. seat this week.
0: I am. I'm uh, taken over this week with a story. I think you'll like that um, was inspired by my little interlude at the spa.
1: Your sojourn.
0: Mm. But first, shall we? <gasps> news! A breaking news! I got the scoop! I see extra, straight, Read all about it! A breaking news! Do It's coming down the wire. <sighs> Woohoo! <sighs> um, Brittany, Brittany's free! Yes! Hashtag
1: Hello. freedom! Praise Moira!
0: Freedom! Freedom! <laughs> freedom! Yes, um. She's free. It happened the day our last episode dropped. And yeah. I think everyone was kind of expecting it to happen, but it was still really lovely when it did. So yeah. Brittany is finally free of the conservatorship she has been under for thirteen years now,
1: closer to fourteen ah yeah. uh, closer
0: to fourteen. And just like we were saying earlier this year, I think the hashtag has changed from hashtag free Brittany to hashtag Avenge Brittany because mm-hmm. as even she herself, uh, put out, tweeted, message, Instagram messaged whatever on the day. Um, she wants the people in her family, particularly her father, who kept her prisoner all that time, to be held accountable. So good.
1: good. Go full kill, Bill. That's what we're all wanting bill. to see. Mm-hmm.
0: Watch this effing space. And I just, what did upset me, though, is I saw, like, it was probably Daily Mail because they're the kinds who publish that sort of thing, that already there was, swarms of paparazzi following her. Like, because of all this Free Britney stuff, the attention around her has reached kind of fever pitch again, particularly Mm. on that day. And there was some photos of her in her car that day where she was clearly surrounded. And I was like, just leave her alone. Mm. That's what
1: started this whole mess. Let her
0: marry her sex idiot. And what does she want to drink on the beach with Cher? Mimosas? Is that what it was? Margaritas?
1: And... Eat ice cream. And eat that ice cream on the beach out.
0: with shit. Mm. Leave her alone. Mm. So yeah. <laughs> I'm literally saying the famous, leave <laughs> Brittany alone. <laughs> just let her live her life in peace now. Avenge
1: yes, but protect yes. her. Let Avenger, her have her privacy.
0: Yeah, and, le- and just no pressure to do anything but what she wants to do, whether that's mm. perform or whatever. Just leave her alone. And I think... We mentioned the other week, um, it made me really sad that she tweeted out recently, like, I am so nervous that everyone's watching me and I'm going to make a mistake. Because Mm. as soon as I make a mistake, the first thing everybody's going to say is, see, she needed it. See, told you so. And it's like, Mm. you know what? That's not actually true. She's going to make mistakes. Of course she is. And we talked about this when we did an episode on Free Britney, which you should go back and listen to because it does really, um, if you haven't, because it does really uh, sort of narrow it all down and give it to Mm. you in the name of our show, just the (laughs) gist of it all, Um, that, you know, just because, like, this conservatorship described her as incompetent. Making Mm. bad decisions doesn't mean you are too incompetent to be in control of your own life. Mm-hmm. Everybody makes bad decisions The point is She should be free to make whatever decisions she chooses mm-hmm. And some of them will be good Some of them won't be so good But you know what They should be hers She's an almost 40-year-old woman Yeah, She should be free to take care of herself yep. And drive her car And marry her sex idiot And eat ice cream on the beach with Cher mm-hmm.
1: Have you listened to the latest episode of Toxic That came out the day that Britney was freed?
0: Oh, no, I haven't
1: Yeah, it came out straight away because Tess and Babs, um, they were there at the court hearing and then they went straight to do a live podcast recording with the Free Britney Army. God bless them. (laughs) They were talking about what went on in the courtroom. Everyone go and listen to it because there are so many reasons to just despise Judge, what is it, Brenda Perry? (gasps) Is that it? uh, Brenda uh, Penny? Is it
0: Brenda Penny? Penny, Okay, this is one thing I was wondering. How could she have this entire time said Britney was incompetent and then all of a sudden go, because everyone's like, oh, is it a different judge? No, Mm. it's the same judge.
1: And she acknowledged that she was allowed to let Britney out of the conservatorship without an evaluation because of the fact Britney had never had an evaluation to begin (gasps) with. So they didn't no. need to compare. Yes. And also she admitted quite freely that no one had ever even needed to petition for the conservatorship to be ended. She could have used her own judgment as the judge. Go and listen to it. It is wild.
0: She freely admitted that. Did she but did she say then why she didn't?
1: No, that's what people are going to be asking a lot of questions about. So now it's a matter of investigate Lou Taylor and let's really look into and Jamie the judge. and Jamie Lynn. And the lawyer, Sam Ingham, but also now let's get into how Brenda Penny um, thought it was the right thing to keep this thing going for so long.
0: It's just, it has been a lot of people making money off this situation. Mm -hmm. And like we've said before, to get a really good sense of how these conservatorships can take advantage of people, you should watch that movie, I Care A Lot, Mm -hmm. with, um, what's her name? Rosamond. is that her name? Rosamund Pike, yeah. Mm. That movie is all about conservatorships and how dodgy they can be in yep. the US. So, yeah. and I read this really good quote on Twitter the other day. Someone was like, wow, all it took was um, years of sustained media attention, three feature length documentaries for people mm. to believe that a woman isn't crazy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that. So, imagine all the people who don't have the profile that Britney does who are currently stuck in an awful situation like that. I think yeah. just so much disturbing, horrible information is going to be uncovered in the fallout of all of this, and it's going to last quite a long time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And also, had one of those people in Britney's circle not decided to blow the whistle and feed some information to Tess and Babs when they were running mm-hmm. the Britney's Graham Instagram, then Britney may still be stuck in this. Situation. I know that one instigating moment yeah. is what led us here, but even still, it was a years long process. And look at all the resources and support that were thrown behind it, and it still took. I this know. Thing.
0: And imagine how nuts it is for those two. What's their name? Tess and Tess Babs. Tess and Babs. Yeah. To have literally just started it, they're comedians, and they sort of didn't even really seriously, they started it just because they thought Britney's Instagram posts were funny. Mm. And it was originally a podcast just each week going over Britney's Instagram posts, Mm. like which we did, which I did a live reading of at one of our shows Mm. once, because her posts are really weird and funny. Mm. And then they just found themselves in the middle of this movement Mm. and really to their credit stuck with it and decided to get behind it and do something about it.
1: It's really great to see as well so many people are committing to continue to fight. Now that Britney's free, they're going to continue to fight for um, other people to be mm. freed and for laws to be changed so it's not so easy to enslave a human being in yeah. California and across the rest of the United States.
0: Far out, man. Well, do you want a bit of a palate cleanser that's still US-based? Please. So there was a quote floating around the internet this week um, by a forest ranger who works at Yosemite National Park Mm. in the U.S. And he was talking about why it's so hard to find the perfect garbage bin to keep bears from breaking into it. Mm. And this forest ranger said, there is a considerable overlap between the intelligence of the smartest bears and the dumbest tourists. (laughs) Oh, so true. I'm
1: picturing the Venn diagram and yeah, it's almost just one circle. Really It was
0: really hard for them to design the perfect bin that dumb people can put rubbish in, but bears can't (laughs) get rubbish out. (laughs) God bless. Love your country. Love your people. Um, Okay, here's the next little tidbit. It's uh, come out in the news that Leonardo DiCaprio will be playing Jim Jones in a film about the Jonestown Massacre, which we've Mm -hmm. done an episode on, and I think he'll be perfect. He will, yes. He just has the same-shaped head. I can just imagine him wearing those dark (laughs) aviators and having the Elvis-like black slicked hair and just being creepy and gross.
1: Especially if they get to show the evolution, it'll be perfect of him being quite yeah. charismatic in his early days and then just yeah. going more and more megalomaniacal
0: over. Yeah, the years. I've there's not ever been a good movie made about it. I mean, there is the documentary in which they have um pretty cheesy but detailed reenactments, which is sort of like it's like a doco movie mm. um, and that's um, pretty much the only time I've ever seen anyone really play him um, and so yeah it's the first time there's really gonna be a big proper movie about it so mm. I'm pumped.
1: Me too I think a lot of people when they see it it's gonna sort of set the record straight about some of the yes. you know urban legends about what happened there and people are probably mm. less likely to use terms like drinking the Kool-Aid after yeah they understand the truth of the matter.
0: And I think one of the biggest um, myths about what happened there that we talked about in the episode we did on it, like way back when we first started just the gist, I think it was one of the first episodes we did.
1: It was when the bushfires Um, were happening, yeah.
0: Far out, man. Um, Is that everybody thinks that, uh, you know, everybody there was so brainwashed that they all drank the poison willingly, but actually most people were forced to drink it at gunpoint Mm. and Mm. the people who refused to drink it were just shot. So it wasn't a mass suicide. It was a mass murder. It was yeah. a it was a massacre. People didn't want to do it. It was yeah. awful. So yeah. um, go back and listen to that episode if you. <laughs> I don't know. We just what we just describes kind of a downer, but it's interesting. Um, mm. Yeah, because I'm pumped for that. Uh, movie. I hope they've got some of the
1: survivors involved in the production process.
0: Well, I'm sure they will. That documentary I was talking about has a lot of uh, I'm going to say a lot. There's not many, to be honest, Mm. survivors. There's... um, there was one man who, um, escaped, but his wife and child died. Mm. There was, uh, I don't know if he'd still be alive. Probably. Uh, there was one old lady who hid under a bed, but mm. she'd certainly not still be alive. Like there's very few people, like only a handful of people made it out that day. Mm. And, uh, a lot of the people who were there were elderly anyway. So I mm. would say there'd be very few people still living that they'd be mm. able to, but I'm sure they would. Yeah. 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 For sure. Um. Yeah. Oh, here's another little uh, palate cleanser. Um. <laughs> this is so cute. So people in the UK love drinking their tea so mm-hmm. much that in the UK, on certain nights, the electric companies have to plan ahead if there's a big TV event. Because when the big TV event is over, everybody turns on their kettles at exactly the same time to make a cup of tea and it overloads the electric board <laughs> and can cause mass blackouts across England. Isn't that the sweetest thing you've ever heard?
1: <sighs> so heard if that. it's like,
0: I don't know, the finale of EastEnders, EastEnders. Yes. Yes, or like a big <laughs> soccer match or something, they have to plan for extra electricity back up because everybody turns on their kettle at the same time. Oh... God bless a nice you. little
1: element of their culture.
0: England? Isn't that mm. lovely? God bless. <laughs> um, and in other super lovely breaking news, um, I did uh, an interview with Mr. A+, Michael Theo, who you might know from yeah. the TV show Love on the Spectrum. We've talked about that show and how much we love him before. Mm-hmm. He was probably one of the standouts. contestants, not the right word, people featured. We talked about reality dating shows and he was at pains to point out that his was a documentary and not Mm -hmm. a reality show. And I said, Mm -hmm. yes, you are correct. Mm -hmm. Um, But he was one of the standout people who appeared on that show and he's uh, started a podcast called Mr. A Plus and I was his second guest. So we did a lovely chat. It was Mm. really lovely. He had a list of questions. He'd really researched it. Uh, we talked about a whole bunch of different things. I asked him what it was like to go on Ellen. Mm. And he had like an answer that in hindsight I probably don't find that surprising, but I'm not gonna tell you. You gotta go and listen. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a very sweet, lovely chat. He's a really sweet, lovely guy. And um I was actually shocked at how similar he and Caleb are. So I was gonna <laughs> ask if you told him. <laughs> we how did. Many parallels he, there are. He actually, and I could not believe this. I was telling him how, you know, it had taken me time to find the kind of person that I ended up with because he, you know, is looking for love. And so it's Mm. on his mind. And I was like, Michael, you're only 27. Like, don't worry about it, man. The right person comes along. And I said, it also takes time to figure out what you like. I mean, Mm. I grew up working in comedy and TV and the arts. So I always dated guys who worked in that industry. And it took me a while to realize I didn't want to date someone wearing, you know, a T-shirt and a hoodie and skinny jeans. I wanted to date someone in a suit and tie. Mm. And he went, T-shirts? That's not dignified. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my god!" <laughs> Caleb says the exact same thing. So I'm pretty sure he and Caleb are going to be good friends. Like we speak a lot throughout the thing about how similar and sweet they both are. Mm-hmm. Yes. Old-fashioned fellows.
1: Very old souls, yes.
0: Very old souls, both of Mm -hmm. them. So yeah, it was a really cool chat. Um you can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts called Mr. A Plus. We'll put a link in the show notes as well. I'm listening this afternoon. And um, also Caleb's show that he's on, which last week I called Surviving on the Breadline and Caleb was like, lol, it's called Could You Survive on the Breadline? I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> By the way, is this the only time you've ever listened? Is because I told you we talked about you on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like, get F. <laughs> get F correcting me. Could you survive on the Breadline? Mm. By the time this comes out, the first episode would have aired. So. you enjoyed it. Yeah, mm. me too. I mean, he's nervous. I wanted to have a big viewing party with everyone and he said no because I think he's a little nervous.
1: So we're just going to have one without you.
0: I guess, and then mm. hopefully from next week and the week after we can watch them together. I think yeah. he just wants to get a feel for it before he, you know, just in case. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. It's a
1: pretty big deal for the guy. I can understand why he it,
0: wants it to. It would be a big deal for anyone, you know. It was he was he spent 10 days being extremely vulnerable and open and putting himself in situations he hasn't otherwise. And he talks about things about himself on the show that he hasn't ever talked about publicly. So I think he's just nervous because he doesn't tend to be, he's a journalist, he doesn't really talk about himself. Mm. So I think that's I'm like well the person who wrote two books I'm like what are you nervous about I don't get it <laughs> <laughs> but like about myself but like he he's not used to it so I think that's what's making him nervous but everyone mm-hmm. should tune in if you haven't already it'll be on SBS on demand or on SBS uh, on Wednesday nights the next couple of weeks could you survive on the breadline mm-hmm. that's all my breaking news if you you, you got anything do 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 all right. I'm really excited about this one.
1: (laughs) What are you serving us?
0: So, like I said, this is inspired by my little sojourn, my Mm. little, uh, what do you call it, uh, detour in the spa, (laughs) or as my Mm -hmm. sisters delicately say, the nut house. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Today I'm giving you just the gist of a woman who is considered not only one of the first and most important female investigative and I'm going to have to say that word a lot. Investigative. investigative.
1: Put the emphasis, yeah. the emphasis on investigative and then you just roll right through it. Mm.
0: Investigative. But you're meant to say investigative.
1: Americans say investigative and they're
0: onto something. Okay. Investigative journalists. Not only one of the first and most important female investigative journalists, but mm. one of the first and most important investigative journalists. full stop. She Mm -hmm. completely changed the way journalism was done in 1887 Mm -hmm. by being a total boss and pretending to be crazy so she could go undercover in an insane asylum and then write about what she saw. (laughs) Today I'm giving you just the gist of investigative journalist Nellie Bly. Wow. Did you say
1: 1887? 1887.
0: So what she saw wasn't good. It was wow. bad.
1: Yeah. I'm picturing an asylum sort of like um at the beginning of Return to Oz when Dorothy's taken yeah. into that really cruel, sterile.
0: I'm gonna tell you some Yeah, but yeah, it's bad. Mm-hmm. Alright, yeah, so buckle in, cause what she saw wasn't nice. Mm-hmm. Nellie Bly was actually born Elizabeth Mary Cochran, but her pen name was later Nellie Bly. So I'm just going to call her Nellie Bly throughout this whole thing because this is just the gist. It's simpler. She, um, did you just fall off your chair? <laughs> <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> you just... I just heard a crash and I saw you suddenly disappear from the camera towards the floor. One second. Oh, God, where is he? Are you safe? (laughs) Did you ruin your tan?
1: (laughs) The tan is intact. It's fine.
0: Did you seriously just just fall off your chair? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you went to get a beer. (laughs) I thought you were seriously injured.
1: I knocked the chair over on the way. Sorry. (sighs) I'm back.
0: Okay. He's back. All right. In 1880, Nellie is 16, and she's living with her family in Pittsburgh, which is a city in the US, Mm -hmm. when a column is published in the city's local newspaper called the Pittsburgh. (laughs) Sorry, Pittsburgh. Sorry, Pittsburgh.
1: I'm picturing a big yellow iceberg now.
0: (laughs) Okay. A column is published in the city's newspaper called the Pittsburgh. Dispatch. Try saying that without saying Pittsburgh because it's this next word is dispatch. So you go to
1: Pittsburgh dispatch. Pittsburgh no. dispatch. Pittsburgh yeah. dispatch. Uh, oh, yeah.
0: shut up. It's hard. Pittsburgh mm. dip patch. Pit- <laughs> 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 I wonder Pittsburgh if this is why patch. we weren't nominated for an Australian Podcast Award <laughs> this year. <laughs> Robbed. Okay. Called. A column is published in the city's newspaper called the Pittsburgh Dispatch. There we go. Take three. The column is called What Girls Are Good For and it goes on to say that girls are only good for birthing babies and keeping house and to spend money on paying them for work or getting educated is a waste. And this pisses Nellie off. So she wrote a response to the column and signed it, Little Orphan Girl, and I looked everywhere. I read a biography about her. I... Watched everything. I looked, I could not find what she wrote in that response. Just that mm-hmm. she wrote a response to that column. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine that it opened with the immortal words, "Ding f-ing dong, here I am, as <laughs> 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 is hoping. Um, mm. The editor was so impressed with her response that he published it along for, with a note for the author to come to his office and meet him. So mm-hmm. Nellie goes to his office and he offers her a job as a regular columnist at the Pittsburgh Dispatch. Mm-hmm. There we go. <laughs> um, and that's where he gave her the pen name Nellie Bly because it was very uh, common, pretty much only done uh, for women Journalists, of which there were very few to have pen names, Mm -hmm. so he gave her the name Nellie Bly, which was the name of a popular song at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Nellie's first column was titled "The Girl Puzzle," and it was about how divorce affects women. And in it, she passionately argued for reform to divorce laws. Mm -hmm. Love her. Nellie goes on to work for the Pittsburgh Dispatch for a few years, but every time she tries to write something of substance about women, she seems to get in trouble. At first, she investigates and interviews women about their mistreatment and terrible conditions working in uh, local factories, Mm -hmm. but the factory owners are so angry at the one piece that is published that she gets reassigned to write about fashion, society, and gardening. Mm -hmm. (sighs) then she convinces her editors to let her be the foreign correspondent to Mexico, but Mm. she only lasts six months because she writes about the imprisonment of a local journalist who criticised the government, so then she has to flee the country before she too is arrested, Mm -hmm. and when she gets back to Pittsburgh, she's again assigned to fashion society. And gardening. (laughs) At this point, she's 21, which I'm like, oh, my God, she's only 21. I was literally reading TMZ and doing silly acting classes at that age. Mm -hmm. Um, She's 21 and she's like, F this. I'm going to go somewhere where they let me write about important things that I care about. So she packs up and moves to New York City on her own. But after four months, she's completely broke because no editor will consider hiring a woman. They just Mm -hmm. won't hire female journalists. They don't exist. So rather than be defeated, she thinks, you know what? If it bothers them that I'm a woman, then I'm just going to have to offer to do whatever work they want that they can't get from anyone else. Like, I Mm -hmm. will literally take any assignment And they'll have to hire me regardless of the fact I have a pesky little vag. Mm -hmm. So she marches into Joseph Pulitzer's office, who is the owner of the New York World newspaper, and says she'll do anything. And he was like, okay, um, I think that uh, there's no way a useless little woman will ever accept this assignment. So I'll pitch this to her and she'll say no and then she'll stop bothering me. Mm -hmm. So he says will you pretend to be insane and go undercover at the infamous Women's Lunatic Asylum on Blackwell's Island? And she's like, Mm (laughs) yep. Which he was not expecting because Mm. this place was notorious. It is pretty much the place that every stereotypical horror story you've heard about insane asylums is based on, Mm -hmm. the American Horror Story Asylum series is based on this Uh, asylum. uh Um, So it's called the Women's Lunatic Asylum and it's on Blackwell's Island, which is a small island just off the shoreline of New York City. Mm -hmm. So you can just get, like, it's like a bridge distance Uh Mm -hmm. um, across from New York City. It was New York's first a government-funded asylum, like the first, and it was like the first municipal insane asylum in the whole country. So mm-hmm. it was pretty much the first government-funded, dedicated facility to look after mentally ill people. Mm-hmm. Although, like, look after and mentally ill are terms I'll use loosely and warn you mm-hmm. now that when I use words like insane and crazy, this is how they described it the back then the time, because it was yeah. awful, yes. Mm. Um. So since it was a little island off the city, in the past it had been used as a prison, kind of like that Alcatraz. little island off. Um, yes, but also I was going to say in Sydney Harbour they have Fort Denison, which oh, was yeah. a prison. Yeah, which mm. is like just like off right near the Opera House. I think mm-hmm. now they use it for glamping. but once it was prison Mm -hmm. because like they're like if you put them and surround them by water, people can't get away because they can't Mm -hmm. swim away. Mm -hmm. Um, So it had been used as a prison for New York City. Um, It had been used as a place to send people with diseases like smallpox or leprosy. Then they decided to put the Lunatic Asylum there, which originally had men and women together together But then they put them in separate buildings and they would send people there who were deemed mentally ill by the state, but also just people who were referred to as incurables, which Mm -hmm. is basically anything where a person can't look after themselves without help. And if their family has no money to help them, then that's where you go. So that could literally be someone who becomes physically disabled. So someone who becomes a paraplegic in an accident, their family Mm -hmm. can't afford it. They're incurable. Send them to the crazy island. Wow. Um, pe- pe- a lot of people with Down syndrome, uh, a lot of, um, I mean, basically anyone where the state was like too hard, send them there. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we know is often the way in the history of medicine, this negatively affected women far more than men. Mm-hmm. Women were often sent there by their husbands for being hysterical, mm. which could just mean annoying to deal with Um, Mm. women were often sent there with postnatal depression because they you know didn't really understand what it was and it was too hard to deal with Mm. I mean probably all a man had to do to get a woman in there was say but what if she gets her period and the doctors would be like oh my god we don't want you have to deal with that send her to crazy (laughs) island um uh, but as is also the way with uh, this kind of thing, it negatively affected women, but it also negatively affected women of colour and immigrant mm. women far more than anyone else. They often outnumbered US-born white patients by four to one, mm. um, which as is the same with incarceration rates today. So we know that those numbers don't mean that more people of colour were crazy. It just means mm. that they were more likely to be locked up. Yep. And not a lot has changed in that regard. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like mental health wards today, Blackwell's Island was understaffed and underfunded. It was also extremely overcrowded. When it opened, there were 270 patients. In a few years, that had grown to 1,400, then (gasps) 2,000, even though the maximum capacity was 400. This meant disease would spread really quickly. People died of very curable diseases because it was just so gross there. Food was scarce. It was awful. They would often use convicts, so male prisoners, to come in and be Mm. asylum staff as it was free labor and they couldn't, they didn't want to pay nurses. Mm. Um, Charles Dickens went to visit uh, the insane asylum on Blackhaw's Island in the 1840s and he wrote everything had a lounging, listless, madhouse air, which was very painful the moping idiot cowering down with long dishevelled hair, the gibbering maniac with his hideous laugh and pointed finger, the vacant eye, the fierce wild face, the gloomy picking of the hands and lips, the munching of the nails, they there they were all without disguise in naked ugliness and horror. So after years of whispers and rumours of it being a place of just abject horror. Mm. Nellie Bly is standing in Joseph Pulitzer's office and he's thinking that suggesting she go undercover there will mean she'll definitely say no and leave him mm. alone. But to his shock, she doesn't hesitate and she's like, let's do this. I'm going in. So wow. the plan is for her to pretend to be insane, get mm. admitted to the hospital. And after a week or so, Joseph Pulitzer will reveal that she's not and get her get her the heck out of there. Risky, um, risky. Oh. Like I, like the first thing I thought was the movie Face Off, mm-hmm. one of the greatest cinematic uh, pieces of art of our time. And um, Nicholas Cage's character gets mm. his face. Wait, how does it go? The good guy gets basically put into the bad guy's body, and he mm. goes undercover in jail as him. But then something goes wrong at the top, and nobody knows that they swapped faces, and then he's stuck in jail. Mm-hmm. as the bad guy with the bad guy's face. Yep. I mean, I she, kind of just explained that. That was just the gist.
1: Roughly, yeah. yeah. She could have been face-offed.
0: Exactly. She could have been face-offed or mm. face-offed. <laughs> she could have been stuck in there forever. So, um, scary. Mm. And it's not surprisingly, actually, since she's a woman, uh, not particularly hard for her to be declared crazy by a straight white male doctor. Mm. So she spent a night practising weird faces in the mirror. Uh This is what she wrote later in her um, stories about this. (laughs) Then she checked into a boarding house called the Temporary House for Women, and she stayed up all night so that in the morning she'd look a bit crazed and exhausted. Mm. And the next day she began making bizarre accusations against other women in the boarding house like calling all of them crazy and saying they were out to get her. And then she's mm. scared enough women in the house that the matron of the boarding house calls the police and they take her to a local courthouse in New York City. Mm. And when the judge asks her name, she says she has amnesia. Oh. And the judge, is, and she keeps <laughs> looking around just going, I can't remember, I can't remember. And the judge is like, I think she's crazy. Mm. And then several doctors... Several experienced, smart doctors examine Mm. her and all declare her completely insane. So one calls her positively demented. (gasps) Another states that she's undoubtedly insane. And a third says she is a hopeless case and needs to be put where someone will take care of her. And so she is admitted to the Women's Lunatic Asylum at Blackwell's Island. And here's the thing, once she's in there, she doesn't keep pretending to be crazy. She just stops. I'll, uh-huh. read, I'll read this to you. Once admitted to the asylum, Bly abandoned any pretense at mental illness and began to behave as she would normally. The mm. hospital staff seemed unaware that she was no longer insane mm. and instead began to report her ordinary actions as symptoms of her illness. Even mm. her pleas to be released later in the week were interpreted as further signs of mental illness. That's oh. a line from a biography that I read that I'll put in the show notes, um, mm. and yeah, that's where I—that's where you could possibly get faced off.
1: Yeah, because the more you say you're not crazy, everything you do, they're going to interpret as a yeah. sign that you deserve to be there. Yes,
0: that you are nuts. Mm. So she's in there, and she gets to see the deplorable conditions firsthand. Um, the days and the nights were only different because at night you were told to lay down on the ground with a very thin blanket. And in the day, the only thing patients were allowed to do was sit upright next to each other on wooden benches. Mm. The patients who were considered dangerous were chained together lying on the floor. (gasps) There was no protection from the cold, and this was New York City in the winter. Mm. It is freezing. If you complained or moved, you'd be beaten by the staff. Nellie said the nurses behaved obnoxiously and abusively and were constantly beating the patients for moving or talking um the food consisted of gruel broth beef that was always rotten and bread that was she said mm. little more than dried dough there and there was only dirty undrinkable water that made everybody sick mm. there was shit and we all around the eating places because the only time they were allowed to get up off the bench or the floor where they were chained during the day was to go and have their one meal. And so during that meal, that was when they also had to go to the toilet. And so uh, everybody would just go to the toilet on the floor around where they ate and then maybe once a day, but they this wasn't very routine, someone would come in with a hose and just hose oh. it out. So rats were also everywhere, Mm -hmm. all over everyone, all over everything. And if the rats crawled on you while you were sitting in the chair and you moved, you'd get in trouble. So Nelly said, I mean, that was pretty much it. You just sat in a chair all day, had your one meal where you also ate it surrounded by shit. The food was rotten. And then you lay down at night. That was the only difference between the day and the night. She said the worst part, though, was uh, the baths patients received. Mm. So the bath water was frigid and buckets of it were poured over patients' heads, Mm. after which the patients were roughly washed and scrubbed by attendants. The bath water was rarely changed, with many patients bathing in the same filthy water Uh. one after the other. (sighs) Even when the water was eventually changed, the staff never scrubbed or cleaned out the bath, Instead, throwing the next patient into a stained, dirty tub. The patients oh. also shared bath towels, with healthy patients forced to dry themselves with a towel previously used by patients with skim inflammations, boils, or open oh, this is. Nellie recalled the bath- the bathing ritual with trepidation, saying, My teeth chattered and my limbs were goose-fleshed and blue with clo- with cold. Suddenly, I got one after the other three buckets of water over my head, ice cold water too, into my eyes, my ears, my nose, and mouth. So oh my god! It was pretty god. effing grim. It's and disgraceful. she, yeah. And at one point, because she was only meant to be there a week, she started to get worried. Like, have I been faced off? Mm the more I say that I should be leaving here and that I'm a journalist, they're mm. like, okay, you're a journalist. Women mm. aren't journalists. Go and sit back <laughs> on your chair. Um, but after 10 days, uh, the New York World newspaper did secure her release and she quickly wrote about her experience and mm. it was published in quickly in the paper before higher-ups could try to stop it. It was serialised, so that's like when one piece comes out mm. a day because it's like quite long. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a sensation, like not just in New York, but around the country. And she didn't hold back in what she wrote, particularly her scathing criticism of the asylum staff and how poorly they treat patients. Mm. And what was most shocking to people was that she had said she didn't think most of the women in there were crazy at all, but that being in there had made them crazy because a lot of the women she talked to seemed just like her. She said, What, and this is probably the most famous quote from the book what accepting torture would produce insanity quicker than this treatment? Here is a class of women sent to be cured. I would like the expert physicians who are condemning me for my action, which has proven their ability, to take a perfectly sane and healthy woman, shut her up and make her sit from 6am until 8pm on straight back benches, do not allow her to talk or move during these hours, give her no reading and let her know nothing of the world or its doings, give her bad rotten food and harsh treatment and see how long it will take to make her insane." two months would make her a mental and physical wreck. Mm. Which is, I mean, obviously uh, places, uh, mental health facilities aren't this bad anymore, although it can be argued that these days um, the new uh, insane asylums are prisons. Mm. Prisons, Mm. the Mm. conditions are this bad still where people are often incarcerated. Mm. Um, Mental health facilities, I think, in Australia, at least in my experience, (laughs) obviously aren't this bad But I will say, you know, as someone who just last month went to three different places before I found a place Mm -hmm. that I felt comfortable staying in, you know, the day you're somewhere that this place is going to make me feel worse than when I walked in. Mm. Like, and Caleb wasn't, I wouldn't say he was frustrated. He was just bewildered because he's never really had to deal with mental health a lot in his life before mental health stuff. And, and You know, when he got me into a facility the first day, he was just so relieved. He's like, oh, my God, she'll be taken care of. Like, I I feel like, you know, she's getting help. And I called him an hour later crying, saying, this place is like a prison. You've got to come and get me. And he was so confused. He was like, how could it be bad? And I was like, it's hard to explain. But the second you're in there, you know, this place is worse than if I just was no, no place at all. Yeah, which is feels re- like a punishment. Like, yeah. yeah, it feels like a punishment, and and you know it's and these are private facilities that I'm talking mm. about. These aren't, I mean, the, these aren't the pub part of the public system here. These are private facilities that you pay a lot of health insurance to be eligible to attend. I think you know it costs your health insurance like two thousand dollars a day or something mm. for you to stay in these places, and three of them I went to were just really bad. Mm really bad. Like you were so, planning
1: to be in prison. Mm.
0: Yeah, basically, or or like a really uh, derelict nursing home, mm. it felt like. And, um, you know, so although things have obviously changed a lot, it's still, I think, just um, it goes to show that in societies of any time, mental health is never taken as seriously as it should be. Mm. And while standards may be better now, I think the attention paid to what is a very serious issue sort of is the same. Mm. It's, yeah. So, yeah, anyway, it's just. So,
1: I don't know if they did more digging here, but I'm supposing that because this facility over there was government funded, Mm. they were packing as many people in as possible because they were getting money by the headcount.
0: Yeah. And- so they're, oh, well, yes, um, they were packing in as many people as they could, um, but not but not for the money because back then they they did only get a certain amount of money. They were basically using it, like I said, as a place to put people that they had no idea where else to put them. And they if they couldn't afford to support them in society, they just shoved them in there.
1: Even if all they had to go off was one woman acting a little bit strange in a
0: hostel. It felt like, so, yeah, so while uh, I don't think it was like a profit-making enterprise, it was that they considered the cheapest option for dealing with difficult people.
1: Right. It was just sweep them under the rug, chuck them over there.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So uh, on being set free after 10 days, Nellie Bly wrote, I left the insane ward with pleasure and regret, pleasure that I was once more able to enjoy the free breath of heaven, regret that I could not have brought with me some of the unfortunate women who lived and suffered with me and who, I am convinced, are just as sane as I was and am now myself. Mm. So the millions of people reading her articles were like, um, yeah, like WTF, how did she even get in there if the doctors are so smart? And why are they allowed to be so awful to patients when they think nobody is looking? Like they didn't know she was there doing this and so that was them stripped bare. Like mm. and so her writing does set off a grand jury investigation into the facility. Mm. The people in charge cry lack of funding. They say it's not our fault, we just don't have the money. Mm. So at the end of the grand jury investigation, the jury recommends that they be given an $850,000 a year increase in their budget. Mm-hmm. And and I quote, the grand jury also requested that future examinations were more thorough such that only the seriously ill were committed to the asylum <laughs> because they were very concerned that Nellie had faked her way in. <laughs> And it was some of the city's most prominent psychiatric doctors had been the ones who said she's demented. Chuck Mm. her in there. Mm. So Nellie Bly's columns are so popular that they get published as a book called 10 Days in the Asylum, which is an international bestseller and is still available today on Uh Amazon, Booktopia, wherever. Um, She becomes world famous. Nobody had ever done that kind of journalism before. So she and Joseph Pulitzer, who pitched the idea to her, are heralded with founding investigative journalism, although Mm. mostly Joseph Pulitzer is, of course. I had only heard about Nellie Bly because there's an episode of The West Wing where the First Lady, Stockard Channing, gets really angry at the President, Martin Sheen, for mm. thinking that it's silly of her to travel to another state for the unveiling of a Nellie Bly statue. He's like, oh, why are you wasting your time going to that? And mm. so she gets mad at him because that he's the president of the country and he doesn't even know that a US citizen basically invented one of the most important forms of journalism that exists mm. today, mm. and that really is because she's a woman. I mean... What is the most famous prestigious prize you can win as a journalist? The Pulitzer, Pulitzer, named Mm. after Joseph Pulitzer. What's Nellie Bly's legacy? A little mention on one episode of The West Wing. Mm. But they, like, it was, she did it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. She did go on to do lots more exciting investigative writing, though her next big writing assignment was to fly, to try and fly around the world in 80 days, just like the popular book of the time. Uh-huh. She does it in 72 days, oh. which is a world record at the time, and she writes about it, obviously. But mm-hmm. then another paper sends their own female journalist to try and beat her record and then write about it, which this mm. woman does. Um, and when asked about it, Nellie is just like, yeah, and I don't care. <laughs> what, do what you want. I wrote my story. Um, but here's where people stop taking her legacy as seriously as they should because Nellie Bly's 10 Days in the Asylum was so huge and her writing afterwards made her famous and her paper lots of money. All mm. other publications and newspapers wanted to get, like, their own little woman to do to do stories. Mm. And that's where people say that Nellie Bly was the start of an era of something called stunt girl journalism. Uh. So where newspapers basically had a token woman writing about unexpected things as a Mm. bit of a novelty. Um, In her Nellie Bly biography, um, which I quoted from a bit um, in the last 20 minutes, author Brooke Kroger writes, Her two-part series in October 1887 was a sensation, effectively launching the decade of stunt or detective reporting by women, Mm. a clear precursor to investigative journalism and one of Joseph Pulitzer's innovations that helped give the new journalism of the 1880s and 1890s its moniker, even though she did it. The employment of stunt girls has often been dismissed as a circulation-boosting gimmick of the sensationalist press. However, the genre also provided women with their first collective opportunity to demonstrate that, as a class, they had the skills necessary for the highest level of general reporting. Mm -hmm. The stunt girls, with Bly as their prototype, were the first women to enter the journalistic mainstream in the 20th century. So, I mean, basically... He gets the most prestigious award in journalism named Mm. after him and people say that she is responsible for stunt girl journalism, which, in other words, is like, oh, that's cute.
1: Dancing monkeys.
0: Mm. Yeah, but, I mean, that has often been the way with feminism. Sometimes you have to do the thing that isn't taken seriously in order to make the big strides. Yep. So while female journalists of that time may have been called stunt girls, they are the reason women were allowed to be journalists at all. Mm. And then it only, their involvement in journalism only grew more and more from there.
1: Yep, yep.
0: Um, Nellie Bly goes on to marry a millionaire businessman, get it girl. Um, but then he got sick and died. So she had to take a lot of time off writing to care for him and then care for his business um, but she did go back to investigative journalism uh, writing later in life. She wrote stories on Europe's Eastern Front during World War I, mm-hmm. and she was the first woman and one of the first foreigners to ever visit a war zone between Serbia and Austria and write about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Nellie Bly passed away of pneumonia in 1922, aged 57. But I want to mm-hmm. end on one of the last pieces she wrote she wrote about the women suffrage procession in 1913, which was the first major march in which women were collectively demanding social, political, and economic equality of the sexes. Mm-hmm. And in her article about that march, she accurately predicts that women will get the right to vote in 1920, although I should point out here that that only applies to white women who got mm-hmm. the vote far earlier than women of color mm-hmm. um, but the headline she gave to that article was, "Suffragists are men's superiors." <laughs> and so amen. when she started out, she wasn't even allowed to be a journalist because she was a woman. And at the end of her career, she was publishing headlines that literally say women who want equality are superior to men. Mm -hmm. So she really made some huge strides and made some huge differences.
1: Legend. Trailblazer.
0: Trailblazer. Mm. Um, The Women's Lunatic Asylum on Blackwell Island was eventually closed down for good in 1955. The island was renamed Roosevelt Island after the president And the asylum building was basically left in disrepair there for many years, which is why it had a reputation of being like a ghost-filled horror island Mm because it's where all the crazy people were and now there's haunted buildings there. Mm. Um, But today, of course, it's filled with very fancy, expensive apartment buildings because Uh it's just off the shore of New York, so it's got beautiful views of the city. Uh Um, The only original structure left from the asylum is the central octagon tower which they preserved and incorporated it into one of the apartment complexes. Mm -hmm. And in a full circle moment with the West Wing, imagining that Nellie Bly had a statue dedicated to her just two weeks ago on November 2nd, Yeah, that's two weeks ago. An installation of five bronze statues of faces were erected on the island. Mm. The faces are meant to represent Nellie Bly throughout her life and it was a big deal that this monument to an outstanding woman was erected at all because an audit done in the US last year that found in the US of the top 50 individuals commemorated with a statue, only Mm. three were women, Only five, male or female, were black or indigenous, and nationwide there are more statues of mermaids than of US Congresswomen. (laughs) So it may have taken a while and it may have first been imagined on an episode of The West Wing, but Nellie Bly finally got a statue in her honour at the very place where she first reported on her most famous story. And that was only two weeks ago in 2021. And that was just the gist of Nellie Bly. <coughs> it's a good one, huh?
1: Yes. I've never heard of her before, which is I'd only a heard shame. of her
0: because of the West Wing. <laughs> wow. Yeah.
1: What a phenomenon. What a trailblazer. Uh-huh. She's had such a huge lasting impact. We have Tracy Grimshaw because of her.
0: I know suffragists are men's superior. Mm. I love her.
1: <laughs> legend.
0: Total legend. Wow.
1: And so brave. Oh, yeah. my God. I would never you, accept would an never. assignment like that. Ever, 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 ever. And then to I be able never. to stick it out for 10 days.
0: And then to go to war zones during World War I. Mm. I mean, I had to leave it out because this is just the gist, but she even got arrested in Serbia because they thought she was a foreign spy. So she's done, like, she's literally done it all just for good stories. And, you know, the credit of of inventing investigative journalism goes to Joseph Pulitzer, and the number one prize any journalist wants to win today is a Mm. Pulitzer. She did it. He sat at his desk while she went off and did the hard work.
1: I'm so glad you told us about her. I'm so happy to know about her now.
0: I couldn't believe while I was researching that she finally got her statue two weeks ago, which yes. is technically five statues and they're these five big beautiful bronze faces and each one is her throughout her life. So they start mm-hmm. as a young girl and build up to her as, I mean, not even that old of a woman because she died at like quite young, at mm-hmm. almost 60. Um, so I'll put a link to that in the show notes. There's a lot to put in the show notes. So we give you just the gist. If you want to know more, there's obviously ten days in an asylum, her book. There's um the main biography I read, which is the one by um Brooke Kroger. Mm. Um there's just a, a whole lot of um stuff about Blackwell's Island uh, and the insane asylum there, which all incorporates her story. And there's just a, there's a lot of rabbit holes to go down about her and about the insane asylum itself. And um, if you look up uh, the Nellie Bly statue at Roosevelt Island, which was Blackwell's Island, uh, it's called the Girl Puzzle, which was um, the name of one of the first columns she ever wrote for the Pittsburgh Dispatch, <laughs> not the Pittsburgh Bit Patch. Um, and it's a really beautiful installation of five, They're stunning. They're stunning. Yeah, stunning. I'm like looking it's, at them now. It's not one of those dodgy statues of European footballers that make you laugh for 10 straight minutes. It is a beautiful installation of five really big bronze faces and I Mm. love that they put it there on that island. I think that's a really beautiful tribute.
1: Yeah, great monument.
0: And in a country with more statues of mermaids than female congresswomen, (laughs) it's a pretty big deal. Another step forward. She finally got, you know, honoured in that way. Yeah,
1: Well done. I want to know more about her. Yeah, I'm me inspired. too.
0: There is a couple of dodgy movies. Um, there is a Lifetime movie starring Christina Ritchie as Nellie Bly.
1: Get out. And it's
0: only a few years old and it is a mm. very dodgy Lifetime movie. Mm. Um, so it's weird that Christina Ritchie's in it, but it focuses yeah. very much on like the horrors inside the asylum and uh-huh. um, and then there's another even dodgier direct to TV movie that I watched only watched the trailer of and it I could barely get through the trailer it mm. was like that bad and hilarious but I did watch the Christina Ritchie movie which you know like it's sensationalized and lifetimey like mm. it's a it's a midday movie type thing but mm. it gives you just the gist of what went on.
1: Pop it in the show notes. I'm keen. To I'll watch pop it
0: in the show notes. I'll pop the trailer mm. in the show notes. Um, I won't tell you how I have access to lifetime. You can figure that out for yourself. <laughs> um,
1: do you happen to know if they do ghost tours on the island?
0: I don't think so because it's all it's a part. It's rich people's apartments now, so okay. I doubt they'd want. But I mean, you are allowed to go and see that central octagon mm. um, building because it's it's actually a really beautiful building on the inside. It's like all spiral staircases and stuff. It's mm. where the doctors lived. Um, like while the asylum buildings were all around it, mm-hmm. so you are allowed to go to the building and like you can go and see the statues that mm-hmm. just got put up. So because it's literally just a bridge, you can walk across the bridge over to this little island next mm-hmm. to Manhattan. Mm-hmm. So yes, I, I, they probably do ghost tours. I'm sure Seems like the could. kind of thing you'd make money off. I mean, they literally base scary asylums on this place. So, like yeah. the one
1: in Return to Oz, yes, and worse,
0: the one in Return to Oz, um, and the one in um, American Horror Story. So there you go. That was just the. Thank gist. you
1: very 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 much.
0: You're I'm just looking so at a welcome. map now
1: where Roosevelt Island is. It's surprisingly big.
0: Yeah, it's really it's pretty big. There's a lot of buildings on it.
1: Yeah, I didn't even realize it was there. But it's around the orientation of Central Park over to the yeah. east.
0: and mm. it's quite popular um, because it's so close to Manhattan, but you get to have the view of Manhattan because mm. you're looking at the city rather than looking out of the city. So it's very expensive, fancy condos. And bad. Uh, yeah.
1: Mm. Let's go to there.
0: Yes, let's go to there. <sighs> what a great um, story. Okay, well, I guess. Until next week. Till next week, everyone. Love, ya. Love Bye. you. Bye. Bye. Listener.